0: Oh my goodness, should we get started? <laughs>
1: I'm sorry, I just no. instantly took us off topic. <laughs> Talking about the League it's of Gentlemen. though. Yeah, okay.
0: Hi, I'm Julia, a Doctor Who enthusiast. I've been wanting to get into classic Doctor Who, but there's a lot. Luckily, I have my friend Jonah.
1: Hello, that's me.
0: A legit Brit and Doctor Who uber-nerd.
1: That's not how you bitched it.
0: To guide me through the basics of understanding classic Who. So, Jonah, what are we watching this time?
1: This episode, The Daleks.
0: Dun, dun, dun. Right. Which is funny because, like, it's supposed to be a mystery.
1: The serials sort of have end up having multiple names again. Mm-hmm. So they ha- each episode obviously has its own individual name. Um, yeah. So this episode's also referred to as the Mutants. Um,
0: oh, is it yeah, really?
1: Or just the Daleks or sometimes um, the Dead Planet.
0: Well, that's what the very first in the serial is called.
1: Yeah, well, that's sort of a convention as well. So we like the Unearthly Child, the serial being called the Unearthly Child, named after the first episode.
0: Oh, I understand. I see.
1: I don't know if there is particular rhyme or reason. I think the Daleks is, is pretty much as good a name as, as for this episode. Yeah. It's novelized as um, Doctor Who in an exciting adventure with the Daleks.
0: That's cute. It is an exciting adventure. I'm excited to actually start talking about it.
1: Yeah. You know, we talked about sort of the, the kind of the caveman episode it's feeling like a bit draggy to start you in this the
0: yeah this is a
1: seven i mean it's a seven part serial which is quite intense
0: it is really long but it
1: feels you feel gripped by the, the story in this one a lot more um and obviously so this one is the the first one they adapt into a movie with peter cushing this seven part serial oh really yes so doctor who and the daleks but doctor Who spelled just D R dot which is
0: oh yeah He's just. I don't like. He's that. just a human
1: called Doctor Who in it. Um, but they basically they do right. they have the Tardis take off and then land straight on Scaro and then basically they adapt this into a movie, this serial into a movie. And you know it works as a movie, I think. Yeah,
0: but, yeah. I'm still stuck on Dr. Yeah. Doctor. I mean, to be honest,
1: <laughs> we all probably eventually cross paths with the Peter Cushing Dalek films. And um, Mm. they're Mm -hmm. really interesting because they're a byproduct of Dalek mania, which starts with this episode. Mm,
0: Yeah. Which you see in the um, documentary.
1: Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's really fair to say that Doctor Who wouldn't still be going without the Daleks and Dalek mania. This episode is, other than the first episode, probably the most, the serial is probably the most important thing in, Mm -hmm. in sort of bringing the show to the height of popularity that you know that allows it to kind of cement itself so yeah yeah very excited by this episode yeah yeah
0: shall we get started then? yeah
1: okay part one the dead planet we last left our heroes having landed in a mysterious petrified forest unseen by them the radiation detector begins to rise to danger the group exits the TARDIS to explore the strange environment. Though there is a breeze, none of the trees move at all. Everything here has been turned to stone, as if there was some great fire or blast of heat.
0: I have a question. Already, I have a question. Um, so obviously they were on sets and whatnot. Like they all created all of the sets. Did they just like tear them down each time and make the a set on the same? area did they ever like preserve anything is this the caveman forest turned to stone i
1: i don't actually know that but it really wouldn't surprise me um in terms of like looking after stuff um it really depends a a lot of the time i think you just tear down the set and because you you you, you know in terms of storage space yeah it's sort of more it's more like a repertory theater thing where you'd like repaint flats and have a big prop store, you know, like, if you think of it like that. Yeah.
0: Okay. So, so it probably is the caveman forest, Uh, but they just, they, they painted over with stone. Yeah. It
1: would make sense. I think (laughs) unless someone, um, you know, if there's an authority, you can correct me on that. Here's the thing with, especially with Dalek stuff and, you know, talking Mm -hmm. about Dalek props and things is that, This is where I'm, I'm like claiming to be an expert. I cannot at all because there are people
0: you're way more of an expert than I am. But there
1: are people so
0: I'm going to defer to you. (laughs) There are
1: people who have, you know, dedicated a lot of time and energy into tracking down specific props and sets and the history of things. And I'm hopefully, if I can get my act together, I'll have put some links we can put in the description to some really good like fan made documentaries and stuff on YouTube, which are really worth watching if you're interested by that kind of stuff. Um, I think the uh, Mr. TARDIS ones is the ones I watched just before we recorded this. And there's um, the uh, uh, Terry Nation 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 i think i might have to correct that and re-record that but this but yeah (laughs) okay okay take everything i say with a kind of pinch of salt and then if you if you go and check your sources because there's some really yeah
0: and well i'm not gonna check any of my sources i'm taking my words what you're saying i'm taking yeah i'm taking your word for it but other people other people can go start the religion of jonah and dr Who. yeah um okay okay
1: Barbara finds a strange spined creature also turned to stone. This clinches it. They are not on Earth. They are on another planet, one where all life was wiped out, or so it seems. Finding a vantage point, Ian spies a great city off in the distance, all made of metal, still no signs of life. The Doctor is determined to investigate the city, but the rest of the crew disagree. They should go back to the TARDIS. The Doctor offers to go alone, but him being the only one able to fly the TARDIS, this doesn't appeal to Ian. While finding their way back through the stone forest, Susan is overcome with a strange feeling, like someone is watching them.
0: Yeah, you got a cue Lost in the Woods from Frozen <laughs> 2 for that, I think. Yeah. Like, literally, I had that in my notes. And then we watched yeah, Frozen 2. Timing wise. So now you know what I'm referencing.
1: Yeah. A hand appears, reaching out to touch her. And Susan screams, running back through the forest to the TARDIS. Inside the ship, everyone is feeling weird. Susan is spooked from her encounter.
0: Yeah, of course. And everyone is telling her that she's crazy. Yeah. And that she imagined it. Yeah. I really, I really didn't like that. No. I was not a fan. And
1: also, you're on an alien planet. That could be, You know, you don't know what's out there. Don't just right? assume.
0: Maybe they're invisible. <laughs> exactly.
1: And Barbara has a strange headache. The doctor introduces them all to the TARDIS food machine.
0: I loved that. Part. Yeah, the kitchen is so crazy because it's just like a box.
1: We get to see a tiny bit of the uh, rest of the TARDIS quite early on. We learn, we yeah. get, you know, we learn about, you know, we get to see the um, fault locator and the computer bank at the back, um, and then the little room to the side, which is actually what I really like about this early TARDIS set and as the series goes on the, as the budget sort of goes down a little bit the TARDIS set becomes less and less elaborate and it's quite depressing but at the start yeah. it's like really intricate and has you know bits to it um, and this TARDIS set is its just a lovely but we'll probably uh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna gush properly about it next episode when we talk about The Edge of Destruction okay, um, okay great mainly because that's only two episodes and we'll need to pad <laughs> <laughs> Whereas this is seven, and I shouldn't be.
0: I don't know that we will need to. Yeah, bed
1: I'm really based on editing how much this you talk. episode down is going to be a nightmare because the seven part ones are going to be anyway. Thank
0: you for being the editor. It's fine. I appreciate it.
1: <laughs> so that yeah, so they just they meet the TARDIS food machine, which is a lovely little mm-hmm. squat machine that basically you you program in what you want to eat, and it gives you like. It's sort of like in, in Charlie in the Chocolate Factory, the chewing gum, at ta- it's a whole meal. Mm-hmm. It's sort of that vibe. Mm-hmm. So they, you know, Ian asks for bacon and eggs and he gets a little thing to chew that tastes of bacon and eggs, Um, which, yeah, it's sort of...
0: I mean, that's exciting, but I feel like after a while it wouldn't be very satisfying. Yeah,
1: well, I think as well, it. I don't think it ever comes back, the TARDIS food machine. It gets mentioned in like yeah. external media and things. Um, But yeah, the TARDIS gets mentioned having a kitchen later on. So you just assume at some point the doctor was like, I can create infinite room. I'm going to make a kitchen. Like, why don't I have to eat this?
0: Right. Food like, I like food. cooking food. Yeah. Right. Who needs a machine for it? Let's do it ourselves.
1: From outside, there is a knocking and they all rush to the scanner. But when they turn it on, there is no one there. At the request of the others, the doctor tries to take off. Everyone breathes a sigh of relief as the sound of the engines begins to rise, only to choke and splutter. Something is wrong with the ship. They can't take off. Opening a compartment in the console, the Doctor discovers the root of the problem. The fluid link is running low on mercury, and there is no more on board. They will have to go and look for some, and the most likely place is the mysterious city.
0: I need to do a side yeah, note yeah. here. I think I, I missed... I thought... So when I watched it, I was like, it seems like the doctor did this on purpose. Yeah. Because, like, he's the only one that checks the compartment. He's the only one that sees that it's wrong. So I I immediately was suspicious of him. Yeah. I was like, you're doing something because you want to go to the city and no one else wants to. Um, And lo and behold and you are
1: completely right yeah so the doc i was the do- again right. this is another example of the the doctor is the one who causes all that he's sort of a semi sort of antagonistic sort of like he's causing he sort of accidentally throws them into danger all the time
0: yeah and
1: so he wants to explore the dalek city the others don't want to so he fakes a problem with the tardis
0: Right, or rather, but then he drains, actually creates a real problem the He does. He drains the, the mercury from
1: this thing called the, you know, the fluid link. Which, yeah.
0: Does that ever come back? Because that was a strange. Uh, thing. Again, it's it's sort of
1: it doesn't come back. I think as a major plot thing, but like I think it gets it'll get like mentioned in like things you know when people you know sort of Easter eggy things. Mm, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um.
0: All right. So.
1: The next morning, they all set off on their journey. When they exit the TARDIS, however, they find a small metal box waiting for them. Inside, a number of glass vials of liquid. It seems maybe there was someone outside after all. Susan takes the box inside the TARDIS so the doctor can inspect it on their return. After a long walk, they arrive at the strange metal city. The doors open for them automatically, and they decide to split up and search for a laboratory wandering alone through the strangely shaped corridors, Barbara begins to lose her way. Doors open and close around her on their own, and she finds herself descending in a lift, emerging deep below the city. We watch as something begins to glide across the metal floor towards her. I just want to for a second talk about the Dalek City and like the sounds, the sound and the design mm-hmm. of the Dalek City. So apparently mm-hmm. um, when Terry Nation was writing the script for this for this seven parter, he would often write, oh, they walk into a white and featureless room and they walk into a white and features room. And mm-hmm. um, the designer, Raymond Cusick, um, basically said to him, oh, a lot of these rooms are white and featureless. What do you want? And he's like, oh, I, don't, I couldn't think of anything so uh, so i think a lot of the the kind of the kind of the design of the dalek city being like you know these infinite corridors that go on yeah, with a kind of odd yeah. shaped and sort of dalek shaped kind of curve to them and those uh-huh. doors that kind of rotate and that was all the design yeah i think i think and also the bbc radiophonic workshop with the kind of spooky sort of you know ethereal kind of humming noise all these sort mm-hmm. of sound effects that we're still sort of throwing into the mix with modern Doctor Who. But they evoke something, you know, really sort of... And I don't know if it's the nostalgia for me, but I just... That, that soundscape is just sort of iconic. But yeah, and the design of the city as well. I love as well, like, but now we're in the Doctor's mm-hmm. element, like exploring alien planets, and he's like a magpie. As soon as he sees that city, the Dalek city,
0: mm-hmm. he's
1: going in. He's going in. He's...
0: The doctor has a goblin brain. Exactly, he sees something shiny, and he's like, "I must, I must investigate." Especially the must see the it.
1: first doctor, um, you know, he lands in a junkyard, and he's going through. I and I, again,
0: <laughs> this is true. I didn't even think about that. I, re- I, you
1: know, especially he goes through and he's looking at the mirror and stuff in the first episode. But I mean, again, I, I want to gush about the TARDIS design next time. But the the thing of it's you know it's a it's a it's a white you know clean spaceship but mm-hmm. it also has random wooden chairs and a roman candle holder and a clock it has all these items that he's obviously just nicked from places as he's going around <laughs> you know he, he's collecting things yeah
0: it's it's like getting that sticker yeah like when you go to new places and you're like well i don't want to take anything big home with me yeah. but if i get a sticker it's fine i'll just take a roman um,
1: candelabra and uh,
0: he's like no one's gonna notice this yeah but, there are three others in the room,
1: but I, I just I love that part of his character. Yeah. What are your your kind of thoughts of? I mean, obviously the Daleks haven't turned. We haven't met anyone yet. But what do you?
0: Right, we haven't like officially yeah. really seen a whole mu- a whole lot. Like we don't know it's the Daleks, even though like we know it's the Daleks, yeah. obviously. But like we haven't seen any of the other characters. It is literally just the group, and investigating Scarrow, mm. which is really cool. Um, I, I mean, it made me very invested in what was going to happen because I didn't really know. And so then when they did meet the other people, the Thals, when they meet them, that gets really interesting to me because like the, the relationship between the Daleks and the Thals is
1: funny. So did you, did you know about the Thals beforehand?
0: No, I had zero idea. And so that was like a complete turn. I was like, oh, yeah. Daleks used to look like humans. They weren't always gross octopus-looking yeah. creatures. So
1: that's I, this is a really interesting thing, especially this episode. Is that I feel like the Thals are, you know, as just as important as the Daleks and just a key part of the story. And the mythos of the Daleks, which is sort of established in this serial and gets elaborated on a lot more as we go on, is that there are mm-hmm. two races that lived on this planet: the Daleks and the Thals who were both humanoid and looked very similar. Um, and they had a war that lasted thousands of years. Um, and then one or other side dropped neutronic bombs and basically devastated the planet. And mm-hmm. then, so the Daleks ended up surviving in mutated form. And then the Thals, you know, adapted over time, also survived.
0: To look into... yeah the hunky yeah blonde people they yeah. are now,
1: but the thals sort of just have kind of disappeared and i think that's a shame they haven't appeared in modern who we've seen some sort of you know humanoid car- carlets in like flashbacks in like the magician's mm-hmm. apprentice but i don't i think it's a really important part of the daleks is the sort of the kind of distinction between them and
0: yeah i mean honestly i think it's really cool that they used to be humanoid yeah like knowing that versus like they were always salt and pepper shakers yeah well how
1: would that evolve yeah
0: exactly yeah anyway let's go into the second one so
1: (laughs) part two the survivors looking for barbara the others continue to explore the abandoned city following a ticking noise they arrive in an instrument storage room. The ticking is discovered to be coming from a Geiger counter. The atmosphere around them is suffused with high levels of radiation.
0: I knew it. I started thinking that actually in the first episode when Barbara was having a headache. I was like, oh, I bet it's radiation." Well, because because they do show. They show on the TARDIS that it goes into danger. And so I was like, okay, so there's a lot of radiation. They're going to get poisoned.
1: It's it's a great use of dramatic irony in that we, the audience, know that. There's radiation. And it's sort of like the Hitchcock thing of putting a bomb under the table and the audience know it's there and we and the characters mm-hmm. don't. It just adds this tension of like, what are you doing? Get off the planet. You're all poisoned. Yeah, exactly. The doctor surmises that the forest they landed in was created in the fallout from a nuclear war.
0: I have another question. Because yes. um, there is a point in history mm. where people were worried about the fallout from nuclear war, yeah. Was did these episodes come out during that like mass, yeah,
1: yeah, 100%, 100% hysteria time frame? This serial in particular is, is so influenced by the second world, like war. it's
0: already playing on the fears yeah. that people, yeah, are still living when you with. We think
1: about it. So, Hiroshima and Nagasaki were like 20 years before us, so almost think about when Doctor Who started, New Who on telly mm-hmm. that's about a similar length of time to when the first atomic bomb was dropped so it's mm. fresh in people's minds you know the daleks and the thals are sort of a cautionary tale aren't they of of a of two fighting people who ended up wiping out their whole planet mm-hmm. so it is it's you know it's not subtle at all and like
0: well that and like their philosophies yeah as well yeah because the Daleks are are all about like wiping out anything that could kill them first, and um, the Thals are peacemakers. Yeah. Like they don't want to fight. They're done. Yeah. they're tired.
1: Yeah, as well, I mean the Daleks. I mean, there's no secret. The Daleks are obviously based on the Nazis. They do a Nazi salute at one point in I th- I'm going to say episode three, but we'll find. We'll get.
0: To, do they really? We'll, we'll get to it. I mean. I've re- I probably didn't notice because they're I mean, machines. they're
1: doing it with a just... Dalek plunger, but it is <laughs> right. when when you realize what it is very obvious and it's you know, and they're designed to look like Nazi tanks a little bit. You know, people talk about, "Oh, Doctor Who's got political, Doctor Who's got woke." This is episode 2, no. right? And we're talking about environ, you know, we've got to look after our planet and don't be a racist. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I I don't that that argument doesn't hold any water. This you know, they went political and woke. Like right, hard out the gate, yeah, guys. Yeah, and wait, wait until you get to the third Doctor. Man is, uh, you know, is all about pollution and anyway.
0: Ooh, can't wait! For yeah, that. His,
1: one of his companions, Joe, becomes an e- leaves and becomes an eco warrior. That's her. Like, yeah, <gasps> uh-huh. you're, go- you're gonna fall in love with Joe Grant, Katie Manning. Oh, you are. I'm, I'm so excited. For
0: I- I'm so ready for that. Anyway, where am I? <laughs>
1: They have to get to another planet for treatment soon, before the poisoning becomes fatal. Only the TARDIS isn't working, right? The Doctor admits rather sheepishly that he faked the issue with the fluid link, so that they would have a reason to explore the city, putting them all in danger. Still arguing, they emerge from the room, only to be confronted by four domed metal shapes. The inhabitants of the city... They appear outwardly at least to be mechanical beings with a swiveling eye stalk and gun arms. Mm,
0: uh those gun arms are not actual guns though. I'm, one is a plunger. Well,
1: yeah. So the plunger arm is uh
0: it's like legitimately it's an, a plunger. You know, it's a natural
1: plunger and it's 100% for budgetary reasons. They wanted to have yeah. like an organic sort of like hand thing which is sort of what I, I I'm the, and this will get me hey I'm i'm fine with so, you know they had the claw on the daleks in in rec- and recently and like oh the, yeah i'm fine I with that, that actually um i'm just the, the plunger is something we've become really endeared to but it is kind of yeah. stupid but you know
0: it is so dumb but like they have plunger on one arm yes. and, and, and this this could be because i was painting my apartment as i was watching these so the fumes. um but i'm <laughs> no, um, the other arm looks like a paint roller. Like <laughs> oh, with, it without people the, always without say egg. whisk but you're
1: right. It is. I don't know what it, that. No, it, what, what it that arm looks is like made. a paint roller. Like, I don't know if it's. I think it's just it's been constructed. But you're right. It does. Um. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Like they could they could successfully paint a wall if they yeah. put like hey, one of those two. They can paint on a
1: wall. It. They can unblock your sink. The Daleks are just dead handy for some they're DIY they're really
0: multifunctional yeah.
1: yeah they are I, I think 100% of I, I'm, I'm talking for myself The my love of Daleks is 100% based in nostalgia um, yeah I do think it's a good design um, but obviously it's very dated it's you know it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's you know it was effective because of Dalek mania people were obsessed with them and I think the idea of the I think the eye stalk is a lot of that the moving eye stalk and it has a camera lens mm, in it mm-hmm. so it can sort of you know change sides and I think it just how bizarre they are played into it
0: yeah but I they can be
1: a little bit funny sometimes 100% yeah <laughs> they glide across the floor menacingly towards the three strangers in a robotic voice the first commands walk ahead of us the doctor and Susan do so but Ian makes a break for it He is blasted by a ray from one of the creatures, paralyzing his legs. The Doctor and Susan are forced to help him walk as they are escorted at gunstick point to a holding cell deep in the underground
0: part of the city. So I was really worried about Ian. Not going to lie. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know that the Daleks could paralyze. Yeah. I I thought that they always just shot to kill things. And so when they got Ian, I was actually very worried. Yeah.
1: It's, I don't know, it's interesting, again, with, I said this in the last episode, but obviously we're watching this with a lot of prior knowledge about the lore of the Daleks and stuff. Yeah. And it's sort of, and then you you watch this and you kind of like, yeah, that's not, that's not right. That's not right. But it's like, actually, no, we're wrong because this is the first, you know.
0: Well, I mean, I didn't, I was just like, ha- I'm I'm happy to learn more about the Daleks yeah. because they're not my favorite race in doctor who like whenever the daleks show up and whenever the cybermen show up i get really like ugh, fine i guess we're watching this um yeah so like i'm happy to learn more about it i actually like the daleks a lot more after watching the serial this is
1: this is the thing that i have is i think there's a lot of interesting there is interesting stuff in the daleks but it just just the daleks showing up is not interesting i think i'm not interested in them no as as just a dalek i i'm interested in the but
0: their history history
1: and the lore about them and also when we later on when we get to davros and all that i that's interesting to me um i think ross c davis did a really good job of making the daleks like by you know by kind of the way he positioned them um in the series and made them sort of interesting again but yeah yeah but yeah so ian's legs are paralyzed um Inside, they are greeted by Barbara. She seems uninjured, but much worse off than before. All of them are now feeling the effects of the radiation sickness. In a control room, two of the creatures watch the strangers on a monitor, noting the effects the radiation is having on them. They remark that the Thals have developed immunity, but these people haven't. The doctor is brought into the room. The creatures identify themselves as Daleks and interrogate him. They ask again if the Doctor and the others are Thals. The Doctor doesn't know what they're referring to, but explains that they are very sick. From the way they talk, it becomes apparent these Thals are another species on the planet. Ones who have developed drugs to counter the radiation sickness. It's only now the Doctor remembers the box of files left for them outside the TARDIS. The Daleks explain that 500 years before, there was a neutronic war on the planet. Between their people and the Thals, the Daleks hid in their city. And though most of the Thals were killed, some have survived, disgustingly mutated. <laughs> yeah.
0: The Daleks calling people's disgustingly yeah. mutated.
1: <laughs> it's kind of...
0: Oh, but I think that's quite... Hot meat kettle. I think Good that's Lord.
1: quite... I quite like that, though, because it's sort of like, oh, yeah, they're hideous. And then we meet them, we're like... We're, <laughs> and we're they're ex- like, oh. Because at this point, we've only seen, like, one of their hands. And when... Um, I think it's is it Aladon when Aladon the first star we meet arrives he's wearing this cloak which is, looks like a sort of armadillo
0: he, yeah, so from the back
1: for a moment it's like oh, what is he and it's just a dude and he's like the, ho- the right, hottest the hottest dude weird. who's ever lived so
0: right he's like a walking Adonis yeah. just wearing basically nothing yeah. and is just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> disgusting gross
1: the Daleks cannot leave their city being powered by electric currents in the flooring, but they want access to the drugs from the Thals and willing to let one of the TARDIS crew leave in order to retrieve them. Back in the cell, Ian's legs are beginning to recover. The doctor returns to fill the others in. Ian naturally believes it should be him to make the journey, but he's unable to walk very far. In fact, the only one in any state to walk is Susan
0: hey yeah. Susan. Susan gets an adventure. Yeah.
1: So she, I mean, she has a an arc in over this series, this serial sort of. Of she starts out, she is basically she, you know, she has to overcome fear in this. Yeah. and This, you know, and obviously Caroline Ford's, I think, uh, in her twenties at this point, but she's playing a teenager and or mm-hmm. a child, and we're supposed to look at her like that. So the the idea of her having to go on this mission alone through the forest. I I was in a, I thought I found it quite quite effective the kind of sequence of her going through the forest when the lightning's going off and
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I liked it. I what I didn't like is that like in order for the the show to tell us that Susan is young and that they call her a child they tell her that she didn't feel anything they treat her like a little girl and it's like this little girl knows a lot like she's really smart you need to stop treating her like she is a child because clearly she has had a lot of experiences
1: yeah I mean I don't think that's an issue necessarily just with the show I think that's just that was society at the time which isn't an excuse but I think it's just you know that's that's them just playing into stereotypes at the time which
0: they played really hard (laughs) into it though they called her a little girl so many times yeah
1: baby steps you know baby steps
0: Uh, we get there eventually but susan gets an adventure
1: part three the escape Having made her way back through the petrified jungle to the TARDIS, the storm raging around her, Susan finds the metal box left on a chair in the console room. On her way over through the storm, she hadn't noticed someone following her through the stone trees. But now, stepping out again from the safety of the TARDIS, she is confronted by a towering, blonde man in a thick cloak.
0: How gross. I know. Disgusting.
1: (laughs) He is a Thal but not as the Daleks describe them. This man isn't a mutant at all. He introduces himself as Aladdin. He was the one who left the drugs. Susan explains that she is taking the drugs back to the city, where the others are held captive. Aladdin seems surprised that the Daleks are still alive after all this time. If they think we're mutations, what must they be like? He offers to help Susan back through the jungle, and suspecting the Daleks may want the drugs for themselves, he gives Susan another box to hide. True to Aladdin's words, the Daleks allow her back, but take the first set of drugs. Though they find the second set, they allow Susan to keep it, and she is taken back to the cell below the city.
0: I really think that the Daleks in this moment are much smarter yeah. than the Daleks that we meet in New Who. Like, they're so much more intelligent. Yeah,
1: but also Aladdin gives her his cloak, and right. she wears it back in. Obviously, she's yeah. encountered a thal.
0: Maybe she constructed it herself. She went on her own adventure. Yeah. She is a new woman now.
1: Yeah. I also don't quite understand the whole bit of the the, the thal cleverly giving her two bits, and then the darts right. finding them both anyway. It sort of feels like that. There's a thing. The thing that maybe did bug me a little bit about this serial, which is not a thing that's going to go away, but it's there, there was a there was a quote when on um, Honest trailers did like their look back at classic Who, and which I think really rings true, which is like it's it's a really good like say three part story stretched out over seven. They keep in encamp- count like when I was writing through my notes of this. I keep writing, oh, oh no, and then they get into danger and then they instantly get out. It's lots of little, there's lots of little um, dangers that keep tripping them up, mm-hmm. but aren't like consequential to the plot. Right. So
0: So that's probably why this that makes a good movie.
1: Well, yeah. After being given time to recover, the Daleks return to the cell. They explain they are willing to make a deal with the Thals, helping them with food in exchange for the drugs. The Thals have been struggling for centuries to cultivate crops after the fallout, relying on a great rain that only arrives every four years. In the jungle by the TARDIS, a group of Thals congregate. Like Aladdin, they all appear a tall, blonde, muscular people. They are led by Temesus the Wise, who waxes poetic about their people's past as warriors, and the Daleks, who apparently were teachers and philosophers long ago.
0: Mm. But the Thals costumes. Yes.
1: Let's talk about the appearance of the Thals. Um,
0: Let's talk about how hot they are. Yeah. Why are they so attractive?
1: Well, I Well, it's, it's obviously the kind of the idea is juxtaposing these, the hideously mutated Daleks that we, you know, and... and right, and these,
0: yeah, that we know and love. Yeah,
1: and these beautiful, sort of peaceful, kind of poetic people. Mm-hmm. There's definitely, this isn't a, necessarily a bad thing, but it's, they've definitely gone in a direction of quite Aryan with them with the blonde hair and the musculature yeah and also the kind of their costumes um uh Temesis has sort of a wing motif on his headpiece which is sort of a bit kind of Mm -hmm. again sort of Viking like which is nothing wrong with with taking inspiration from that it's just um I just think it's worth noting that the idea of these perfect people they've gone with
0: blonde Vikings blonde, yeah very white that people. wear next to nothing yeah. and leather
1: yeah but it's obviously a choice and if you get a moment <laughs> Julia um yeah g- google what the thals look like in the movie doctor who and the daleks cuz they do look a bit different um
0: oh in in a good in way in a or... really fun
1: way um i okay. prefer how they look in this but they they definitely they take the idea of the thals and run with it um uh... in the movie Um, If
0: we weren't using our phones to do video, I would totally be Googling that right now. Yeah,
1: well, we can have a look later. Yeah. Back in the city, the TARDIS crew have grown suspicious that the Daleks are listening in on them. Together, they fake an argument between them about who to trust, leading to a tussle in which the camera above the door is pulled down. Unwatched, they begin to plan. The doctor hypothesises that the Daleks are powered through the floor of their city, through static electricity. Ian suggests they use the Thal Cloak to cut off one Dalek's connection to the floor. Back with the Thals, a letter arrives from the Daleks. One Susan was forced to write and sign. The Daleks offer a supply of food left in the entrance of their city. How did they deliver this? Because the Daleks can't leave their city... (laughs)
0: <laughs> which we just established and none, none of the group got to leave yeah like, so either it was
1: left just outside the Dalek city but the Thals haven't I don't know it's never not, not explained I don't think mm-hmm. and I wonder if they just flung it like the Daleks sort of
0: <laughs> right they made a paper airplane yeah. and it just they made sure it travelled
1: but anyway let's just ignore <laughs> that uh. <laughs> in the cell the TARDIS team planned their escape laying down the cloak as a trap. When a Dalek enters to deliver food, Barbara covers the eyestalk with mud made by mixing soil from their boots with the water they were given. The blinded Dalek is then dragged into the room and forced onto the cloak, shutting down immediately. Finding a catch and opening the casing, Ian looks inside. Quickly snapping it shut, he asks Barbara and Susan to go outside on lookout. He and the Doctor together, Extract the horribly mutated creature from within the casing. We are unable to see the creature, and it's quickly taken out and wrapped in the cloak before being dumped in the corner of the room.
0: Yeah, but what the camera does see, I mean, at least I noticed it, was the man that was operating (laughs) inside the Dalek.
1: Bless them. There isn't much room inside a Dalek.
0: I know. I so know. the
1: shape of the Dalek skirt, you know, being pointed at the front, is is designed mm-hmm. so that the operator can fit better, so they can sit yeah. and have a little table. I do think as well. I am I, I'm, I'm sort of that.
0: I mean, they were the ones making it. Why can't they just make it slightly big enough?
1: Oh no, that's not well, my my operate. point was. Him that that Ian sends um, Susan and Barbara out like they can't look at this which i mm-hmm. get sort of i think i would have preferred it if it had just been like everyone leave i'll deal with this like none of you look at this but it's sort of it ended up being a bit gendered the
0: doctor has morbid curiosity well, yeah, though. yeah no. i think he would have looked anyway yeah
1: no i think i i yeah i again i'm maybe i'm making an issue out of something that doesn't need to be an issue but it just it get, it get, it's just a little
0: no, it definitely was. Women don't yeah. need to see this, or just
1: maybe Susan, because I feel like as well, Barbara would be interested. Oh
0: yeah, that child can't yeah. see anything. Yeah, she's a child. She's a
1: child, but but yeah, but I do I do really like the thing um, that at least it carries on for a bit. the idea of we never see what the Dalek mutants look like? Obviously in mm-hmm. New Who we see them straight away, but I kind of yes we do. But I I do kind of like the thing of let's do we just sort of hint at what they're like because they're they're so
0: yeah well i mean you see like it moving you see like a little tentacle underneath do you know what that is that's a
1: gorilla costume glove covered in um vaseline
0: which once
1: you know you can't unsee it's just like a hand oh i have to go back but yeah no it's like you see like what's supposedly like these sort of tentacles coming out from under under the cloak and that's Mm -hmm. all you get which is sort of enough to kind of hint at this thing is, you know, you' I think
0: horribly. Yeah, deformed. the
1: imagination can do so much more. And also, I think that in the I think the idea in the script was that it, like their their bodies have atrophied, but their brains have grown, so that's why they have the travel machines. Which we sort of mm-hmm. get in the design with the Daleks It's sort of a brain with tentacles. Yeah, later on. Yeah. The shell hollowed out. Ian climbs into the Dalek. The plan is set. And using their decoy guard, they begin to make their way down the corridor. That's that episode. Again, yeah. I really like that, The again, the motive of... People want to get inside the Daleks instantly. Instantly, we want to get in the Dalek. and Well, go, well I mean, yeah.
0: yeah. The, uh, we even got in the Dalek when there was the, in the Edinburgh yeah. exhibit. Like, they had one there that you could get in. And I was like, ooh. Yeah. And just got immediately in and then started messing with the the arms. Yeah. Like, it's so interesting, but it's tiny. It's so small yeah. and
1: good. I mean, so they when they were talking about casting, who they cast for... Um, the Dalek operators they so they cast actors specifically and mm-hmm. and part of that was because you know the Daleks so they have to sort of be characterized don't they they sort of have yeah. they they sort of move to the lines and they have to know which Dalek is saying what line but also they picked um smaller people who could fit in and smaller and yeah. small but strong people because they're apparently quite hard to move um
0: these actors weren't the ones that actually voiced their Dalek no,
1: though, were they? No. So um let me just get the names up. Um um the Dalek voices in this episode were done by Peter Hawkins and David Graham. So they sort of divided the voices between them. I don't have the names of the Dalek operators in front of me, but I think they were I think they built they had four Daleks built for this mm-hmm. serial and then a lot of cutouts or shot from different angles. So it looks like there's a few of them. Um But the Dalek operators inside um, operated the lights. So they had to press the lights in time to the the actors' voices, um, which I don't think is something we do. I think it's radio controlled now in the modern ones. Um, I might be wrong. Um,
0: I'm going to say that you're right.
1: Yeah, it (laughs) would make a lot of sense.
0: Because I'm not going to look it up. Yeah. next time on you know who
1: a scream scream happens someone screams yeah it's always a great
0: and it's not a woman exactly it's
1: a big manly thal
0: thanks for listening to you know who if you want to see more from me and jonah follow us on instagram and tiktok at you know who podcast And if you want to support the podcast, tell your friends and family. Give us a rating if your podcast app does that. And if you want to hear your name at the end of each episode, become a producer at patreon.com backslash podcast. Speaking of which, we want to thank our newest companion, Andrew, and our producer, Kathy Blasher.